When looking back at a couple different games that Missouri has played in this season, it's pretty clear their defense is really good, but their offense, well, that's a different story. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn, the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash College. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always, thank you once again for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily, and we've got a lot to cover on today's show of Locked On Gamecocks. I'm going to be talking with y'all about what I'm going to be looking for at Garnet and Black Madness later tonight, which is going to be an intra-squad scrimmage that the men's basketball team is going to have take place at Colonial Life Arena. I'm also going to talk about why Missouri's play style on defense is what makes them so dangerous on that side of the ball. And I'm also going to talk about why Missouri's offensive mentality is the exact opposite of their defense's mentality. And that's what I'm going to start off today's show with. Now, I went back and watched Missouri's first half performance against the Auburn Tigers. I was only able to see the first half because, unfortunately, with where I was watching the game online, the second half was not available. But overall... My opinion on Missouri's offense is this. After watching that performance against Auburn, I've come to the conclusion that this offense is for the most part a gimmicky, out-of-style offense due to the combination of concepts that they seem to heavily rely on. Now, when looking at the play calling for Missouri's offense... This offense has the looks of one of those spread offenses from the earlier part of the previous decade that utilizes option plays like RPOs, read option, and speed option. Obviously something that really took flight around 2010-2011 during the time where Chip Kelly's spread option up-tempo note-hole offense was really starting to take the country by storm over at Oregon. And the Missouri Tigers will run an up-tempo, no-huddle pace at times when they are seeing some success on offense. The weird thing about how Missouri played against Auburn, it didn't seem like they really made the effort to try and establish an intermediate or deep passing game, which, considering the receiver depth that they're supposed to have on that team, I was quite surprised by this. I mean, they've got some really solid guys at the wide receiver spot. Guys, of course, like Luther Burden, Toski Dove, I believe Dominic Lovett, Barrett Bannister, I believe, is another guy as well. Mookie Cooper. They've got a bunch of really solid receivers. they got a ton of depth at that position. So you would think with that kind of depth at that spot that you'd really make an effort to try and establish the passing game in the intermediate to deep 
parts of the field. But again, in this game, Missouri didn't seem like they really tried to do that. Instead, Missouri seemingly tried to use more misdirection in their blocking schemes on a lot of plays, which tells me that they're trying to compensate for maybe a lack of consistency either in blocking or their quarterback play, or who knows, maybe it's a combination of both. They used a lot of play-action rollouts out of the shotgun formation especially, where basically the offensive line, again, would go blocking one direction on the field, while the quarterback, in this case Brady Cook, would roll out to the opposite side of the field. And this also sort of seems to fall in line with the few-year span in the last decade where offensive coaches became almost overly enamored with the short horizontal passing game, basically just trying to get the ball out to the flats and not really trying to push the ball vertically. Of course, you could also maybe term this as a West Coast-style offense, but even in a West Coast-style offense, offenses are going to try to push the ball downfield every so often. I don't really term this offense as a West Coast offense. Again, it just comes off to me as a bag full of gimmicks that Missouri continuously tries to call and basically just tries to use a lot of eye candy and some simple reads for the quarterback in order to get some production on that side of the ball. Now, formation-wise... Missouri's offense has a regular bunch set in the shotgun formation, along with a shotgun trips formation. These two sets are by far Missouri's favorite sets, at least based off of their game against the Auburn Tigers. Drinkwitz does seem to like to overload one side of the field with his wide receivers, having three or four guys, because they also have an unbalanced quad set out of the shotgun, basically meaning that they've got a formation where there are four wide receivers all bunched up together and basically sort of a diamond pattern on one side of the field. And they also do have a split back set as well, which can play into the option game a little bit if they so choose to do so. They will also line up in the pistol formation at times with either an inline tight end or an H-back next to the quarterback, basically a pistol strong or weak formation and set. Now, In terms of the offense's overall execution from the Auburn game, I'll start with Brady Cook real quick. Really and truthfully couldn't get the biggest read on him because of the plays that were called. But there was a few things that really did stick out to me. Um, He has definitely got some wheels at the quarterback position. He can be deceivingly quick in terms of sort of rounding out his cuts on the field, which can sort of catch defenders by surprise a little bit at first and cause them to take the wrong pursuit angles, which allows him to get some extra yards. And he's also pretty smart as well. He does not take a whole lot of unnecessary hits. If Brady Cook, let's say, gets a read option play called, he keeps the ball and he ends up getting the first down. If defenders are coming screaming towards him a couple yards later, he just goes ahead and rolls on into the turf and goes down and lifts to fight for the next play. So he's pretty savvy in that aspect. Now, as a passer, he can sometimes put a little bit too much juice on certain passes, basically overthrowing his wide receivers. But again, didn't really see him get that fair of a chance to establish a deep passing game for me to really make a concrete opinion on that aspect. He also does have an extremely quick release, which in today's Football is something that a lot of coaches want to see out of their quarterbacks because of how much speed is emphasized on the field. 
even in the line of scrimmage. Now, we're looking at some of the other skill positions. Running back Nathaniel Pete. Look, I don't think he is Tyler Beatty 2.0 for this Missouri Tigers football team, but he's pretty fast. As soon as he sees an open hole, Nathaniel Pete does not hesitate to go ahead and hit it in gear three or four. And he is also, pound for pound, a pretty strong back. I believe... Based on watching the game footage, he's probably around 5'9", 5'10", so a little bit on the shorter side, and probably around 200 pounds, maybe a little bit less than 200 pounds if I had to guess. But there was a couple of occasions where he would be pretty much stonewalled by an Auburn linebacker, and Nathaniel Pete, just by driving his feet, would find a way to sort of wiggle himself free of that Auburn defender and would get a few extra yards after contact. I was very impressed with how many times he did this in just the first half in that game. Now, moving on from the skill positions, because again, didn't really get a whole lot of the wide receivers or tight ends really. When looking at the offensive line, it seems like the Missouri tries to run a mixture of both gap run scheme and zone blocking scheme type of runs, which basically means Gap run, that's pretty much trying to execute a set of particular blocks where one gap in particular is open for the running back to go through. And they also have zone blocking scheme, which basically means you are blocking a zone. There's an entire area of responsibility for you and any defender that is in that vicinity, you are supposed to pretty much just try to wash them out from that area. So if the running back decides to cut up the field right behind you, there's no defender that is there to pretty much stop them right in their tracks. In terms of any particular players on the O-line who might not be I don't want to say the most talented, but maybe they do not perform as consistently well as some of his teammates. I would probably pick out left guard Xavier Delgado. I thought that he had his struggles, especially in pass protection and even sometimes in run blocking as well. So Zach Pickens or Tonka Hemingway, all those guys in the interior defensive line, if you're matched up on Xavier Delgado, I would like South Carolina's chances more often than not in that particular 1v1. Now, In just a few moments, I'll talk about what makes Missouri's defense so good and what makes them unique compared to other defenses the Gamecocks have faced so far this season. But first, I want to bring up a hypothetical to all of you real quick. Let's say you were starting your own small business tomorrow. You've got your own building plan laid out. You know what your inventory is going to consist of. I mean, you have a grand plan for why your business is going to take off in that specific location. Then all of a sudden, you realize or you remember that you'll need to rely on employees that you have no personal connections with, which can not only stress you out, but make the hiring process feel like a high-stakes wager because you want access to the best qualified candidates available for the positions that you have for your small business. There's an easy way, however, to get around this conundrum, and that's by using LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is here to help you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster and for free. And when you use LinkedIn Jobs, you can create a job post in minutes to reach both your own personal network and a worldwide professional network consisting of 810 million people. You can also add your job to the purple hashtag hiring frame on your profile, which helps to find the right people that fit the job description 
to a T, using tools like screening questions to filter through candidates and populate viable choices. This is why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus other leading competitors in the industry. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to, again, faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers are visiting LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Once again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free today. Terms and conditions still apply. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so let's now switch gears over to Missouri's defense and why this time around, compared to 2021, this unit has gotten a whole lot better. Now, I went back and watched Missouri's game against the Georgia Bulldogs from earlier in the season due to the fact that Georgia runs a pro-style or multiple type of offense. And overall, when watching this game back, my thoughts on Missouri's defense are this. This is a defense that's going to give a lot of different looks when they need to. But overall, they want to have their guys go out there and play fast, especially out of a 4-2-5 or nickel-based formation. They want to be very aggressive in dictating how your offense plays throughout the course of a football game. Now, in terms of formations, Missouri does also have a 4-3 formation. They have a 5-2 formation. They have a dime formation with one linebacker, four down linemen, and six DBs. And they have a 3-2-6 formation that they will bring out once in a blue moon, which... Again, it seems like that they only bring out a lot of these formations if the opposing offense is extending a drive for a long period of time. If they don't get their defense off the field early enough, then they'll sort of switch up their looks in order to try to give them a better chance to do just that. Now, when looking at how Missouri tries to bring pressure on defense, they will typically, and this is the thing that really separates this defense from all the other defenses South Carolina has played all year, This defense is going to bring an extra guy on first down just about every single time. Because it seems like that Missouri likes to take their chances thinking that that first down play, more often than not, is going to be a run play. If they don't blitz an extra defender, they will sometimes have their fourth rusher come from a different area of the field. Maybe it comes from the nickel corner spot. Maybe it comes from the linebacker unit. Maybe the second level with Tyrone Hopper. They do this all game long. And if they do blitz, again, it's going to be either one of those positions that I just mentioned a couple moments ago. They will also bring some disguised blitzes where they will show basically a look that makes the quarterback think, oh, geez, I got two or three guys that are getting ready to come after us here. And they'll only send one guy. So they really try to basically make quarterbacks overthink everything on the field. Show them a bunch of different eye candy type stuff before the snap so that maybe the quarterback shifts the protection to one side when in reality the pressure is going to be coming from the other side of the field. 
They will also run some stunts up front. And this is another area where Missouri's defense can be very unique because they run your typical stunts just on the defensive lines. Stunts like the toe stunt, an eat stunt, a ton stunt, which y'all have heard me talk about on this show if you've been watching this show throughout the course of the season. But the unique part about Missouri's defense with their stunts is they will sometimes run stunts, including some other second or third level defenders. So they might have the Mike linebacker basically run into a gap that is vacated by the nose tackle. In essence, the nose tackle will go after the guard instead of the center, and the Mike linebacker will basically run right at that center and can pretty much decide whichever side he wants to try and attack. They also will sometimes bring a nickel corner in on a stunt, and the defensive end, he might end up crashing inside or maybe crashing outside in that gap and the nickel will then again take that vacated gap that the defensive end just left so they do a lot of unique things in terms of their pressure and they like to bring pressure quite often in order to really try and get in the heads of opposing quarterbacks now in terms of the coverage that Missouri will bring on defense they will show zone coverage near the hash and man coverage beyond the numbers, all the way on the far edges, against shotgun sets where there's two skill players on either side of the offensive line. This could be an inline tight end and one wide receiver, or it could just be a regular shotgun spread formation with two wide outs on either side of the offensive line, completely split apart. Otherwise, they will show zone coverage across the the board. They also are not afraid to run some man coverage on third and long situations, trusting that either their stunts up front or their fast pass rush from the defensive line will force the quarterback to either have to move out of the pocket and make a difficult throw, or they will get home on their pressure. Now, in terms of the execution from the defense in this game against the Georgia Bulldogs, the unit that impressed me by far the most was the defensive line for the Missouri Tigers. This is the unit that pretty much really drives the engine for this side of the ball. They're very aggressive as a whole on plays where they sense a run is coming. These defensive linemen, again, they're not really taught in my eyes from what I could see to react to the offensive line's blocking scheme. They're pretty much taught to just go in there, get your hands on the offensive lineman, shoot them as fast as you can, and pretty much just try to burst right on through the offensive line and wreck whatever the play is going to be. The other thing is this, though. These guys don't run out here just going crazy and all willy-nilly trying to get to the ball carry. They don't make a bunch of bad mistakes. They know how to take pursuit angles, and they really know how to attack pullers as blockers, which is signs of really good coaching. Basically, if a defensive end has their offensive tackle matchup, pull from that side to the opposite side of the offensive line instead of the defensive end sitting there all the time, you know, maybe looking for that quarterback's eyes to be looking at him, letting him know it is an option type handoff. If the quarterback just hands off the ball to the running back and the running back's going to that same side where the pull blockers are heading, the defensive end will not sit there and wait. They'll just go ahead and follow the pull blockers because in football, if you've got multiple guys pulling to one side of the line on offense, that is typically a warning sign to the defense that that is where the ball is going. So 
That's a good sign of coaching right there. And again, they take good pursuit angles. They divide up sort of the areas in which they are running down the field so that guys aren't just basically taking the same angle and running into each other. Or basically, you have multiple guys that are missing a ball carrier in the same exact area. Now, in terms of this defensive line unit, the best player by far in this unit is Isaiah McGuire. He is a solid pass rusher on the edge and really emphasizes a dip and rip move against his matchup in order to try and get himself some leverage and give himself a chance to at least, again, affect the quarterback's pocket. He also possesses a nice little inside swim move where he goes pretty much over the arm of an offensive lineman attacking that inside half. He's extremely physical at the point of attack with his hands. And again, he takes great pursuit angles and does a great job in terms of looking for contain and backside reverses at the defensive end spot. So again, they're very fast on this side of the ball. They want to play fast, mainly play in a nickel formation. They are very aggressive, especially with their blitzes. And the defensive line unit is by far the best unit on this Missouri defense. A defense that when you watch the film, it is very clear is much improved from what they did in the 2021 season. Now, in just a few moments, we're going to shift gears once again. And this time, talk about the men's basketball team. And in particular, the Garnet and Black Madness event that is taking place later this evening, where I'm going to discuss with y'all what I'm going to be looking for at this intra-squad scrimmage. And I got to say, if you're like me when you play basketball, meaning basically you're out of shape, maybe you haven't gotten outside enough recently, and if you're like me, maybe you never learned how to really handle a basketball beyond the basics when you were taking PE classes back in elementary school, middle school, or even high school, you know you'll look like you jumped into a nearby lake by the time you're done playing with your buddies or any random pickup game with some other people. But for some people, however, they deal with this issue more specifically with their armpits due to excessive underarm sweat. And this could be a big inconvenience in that person's life. But it wouldn't be the case if that person discovered sweat block, which has changed the game. It can fix the problem of excessive sweating because it was created by a doctor who was dealing with the same exact issue which therefore means it's automatically doctor recommended. This is probably the best kind of product that you could ever imagine. The product was created by a doctor himself or herself, to be fair. But if you or someone you love or care about is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor that's getting in the way of everyday life, try Sweat Block today. You can go and save 20% with the promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecast podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, so let's talk about this Garnet and Black Madness event that is going to be taking place for the men's basketball team 
later this evening. Now, in terms of this intra-squad scrimmage that's going to be taking place, obviously there's going to be a Garnet team and there's going to be a Black team, and the roster is going to be split up into two different teams, I would imagine. The scrimmage is going to be starting at 7.05. It's going to be a 20-minute scrimmage, so it will not be basically the full length of a typical basketball game. It will basically be like one half of your average college basketball game there's also going to be a three-point shootout and dunk contest that will follow the scrimmage at the very end so obviously this is going to be a fun event for a lot of families it's a really good opportunity for a lot of the men's basketball fans here in South Carolina's fan base to go and check out what is going to be a new look team both from a coaching staff standpoint and a roster standpoint heading into this upcoming season and I plan on being there myself watching as a media member because obviously there's going to be a lot of interesting storylines to pay attention to nearing the beginning of this season there's going to be a few questions that I'm going to have the first one being basically who is going to be the guy that is going to run the point for this South Carolina basketball team. Now, when asking this question, there's pretty much only two candidates that I see that could probably take a hold of this position, and that's either Michi Johnson, the transfer from Ohio State, or Jacoby Wright, who saw a lot of playing time from this past season and obviously hit that proverbial wall that a lot of true freshmen hit in Power 6 college basketball. So... If I had to make a guess right now, I would assume that Michi Johnson is going to be the starter. I don't think that it's necessarily a given that, you know, he might hold on to the spot this entire season. Michi Johnson is obviously a very good athlete. From what I can tell, he is more of a slasher than a shooter. Not saying that he doesn't have a jump shot, but it seems like that this is a guy that could sort of create his own shot by getting a few different opportunities to drive sort of to that baseline or to the rim in general. Jacoby Wright has a little bit of everything maybe in his shooting arsenal. I'm not going to necessarily say he's like Michi in the sense he can drive to the basket as effectively, but I do think he's got a solid stop and pop kind of mid-range shot. And I also do think that when he actually does put a lot of effort into it, I think he could have a really decent three-point shot. He didn't shoot from behind the arc as much this past season, but I think, again, part of this was due to the fact that he was a true freshman. He was playing with a lot of really talented players on this roster in terms of their offensive game this past year. Guys, of course, like Eric Stevenson and Devin Carter, who have both now transferred out of the program since the firing of Frank Martin and the hiring of Lamont Paris. So that is going to be the first question I'm going to be interested to see if that gets answered in any way in this scrimmage. The second question, how does Gigi Jackson, of course, the true freshman phenom from right down the road in Ridgeview High School, how does he handle playing in front of fans for the first time as a college player? Obviously, Gigi Jackson has got the weight of the world on his shoulders probably at times. Understanding, you know, the fact that he is a local kid. He comes in here with a lot of hype. He is someone that's projected by many to be a lottery pick in this next year's NBA draft. He left high school a whole year early to come play for Lamont Paris and this coaching staff. And he even admitted in the local media availability day that the men's basketball team had a couple Wednesdays back that, you know, he is a little bit nervous heading into his first actual game. Now, obviously, this is, again, going to be just a scrimmage. He's going to be playing against his teammates. 
So I don't think really the fans are going to be able to gauge sort of what he's going to bring to the hardwood in this scrimmage. And again, obviously, it's just 20 minutes of him playing against his teammates. So you can't really make a whole lot of anything from that particular set of circumstances, this kind of a controlled environment. But again, it'll be interesting to see, you know, when he gets the basketball on offense, the fans are obviously going to go crazy. They're going to want him to try to do something that, you know, is going to just blow their minds, get them out of their seats. Does he allow that to sort of drive his decision making in the scrimmage or does he play within the offense and defense that he is supposed to be playing in? That's going to be something that's going to be very interesting to watch coming out of this intra-squad scrimmage, how Gigi Jackson performs in that particular aspect. And then the last thing that I'm going to be interested in paying attention to is how the backups perform in the front court for this roster. Because I got to admit, if there's really any position that there is a great deal of concern probably that I would have in terms of maybe the depth, I would probably say that it is the front court. Because the thing is, you're, in, you're going to probably see Gigi Jackson at that four spot. You're going to probably see Josh Gray playing at that five spot. And those two guys, I think, are going to be very capable starters. And I think they're going to complement each other in the sense that Josh Gray is more of a defensive guy and, you know, can go up there and grab a bunch of boards, while Gigi Jackson is going to be a guy that can score in multiple ways on the offensive end. When looking behind those guys, however, things get a little bit more murky. You have guys like Trevon Minot, who's been in the program for a couple of years now. Now, in terms of a physical standpoint, he might not be able to match every guy he goes up against, but he does play with a lot of effort. He is very scrappy in terms of how he plays on defense especially. You've also got Benjamin Bosmans Verdong, which I hope that I pronounced that name correctly. It's probably going to take me a couple tries to get that down pat if I didn't. But the point being, Benjamin, of course, is an Illinois transfer. Now, he did not play a whole lot in his time with the Fighting Illini. I think he averaged like basically nine minutes a game over the course of his career there, which spanned two or three seasons. So obviously, you know, he does have at least some power six experience playing and a really good basketball conference in the Big Ten. So we'll see how that translates for him going from the Big Ten all the way down here to the SEC. You've also got Javon Benson, who, again, also had some hype in terms of his potential coming out of Ridgeview High School a couple years ago, ironically enough. Does he show any development in terms of his game? Because he's somebody up to this point that maybe hasn't at least gotten the chance to make a big enough impact for this basketball team. Is he someone that can maybe try and grab a lion's share of the minutes off the bench at that four spot. We'll see what happens on Wednesday night, if that is any indication of that. And then you got Daniel Hankins Sanford, who Lamont Paris is very excited in, as he said that he is one of the most physically impressive freshmen that he has ever seen coming into a program that he was coaching at. So, obviously, again, he's a true freshman just like Gigi Jackson, which probably means that he is going to have a learning curve and he's probably going to make some mistakes from time to time in this scrimmage. But there's been some people who follow the team pretty closely that think that Daniel Hankins Sanford can push for minutes here 
in the backup role at maybe that four spot especially so again we'll see how all that shakes out later on tonight because that's going to do it for today's show of the locked on gamecocks podcast i hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show as always what are y'all's thoughts and opinions on missouri's offense and defense do you think the offense is maybe a little bit better than i give them credit for what do you think about missouri's defense and the way that they play especially if you've watched them at any point during the season And then in terms of the Garnet and Black Madness event that's taking place for the men's basketball team, what do you think the overall goals should be for the team coming out of this scrimmage? I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts, as always, down below in the comments section. If you're watching today's show on YouTube, you can also feel free to shoot me a message at a line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll try to respond to any replies or comments that you have as quickly as I see them. And once again, I thank you all for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch every day. Now, for your next listen, go check out Lockdown Sports today. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day, all on the Locked On Sports Today podcast, which is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. But once again, that does it for today's show. I hope that you all have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll catch you all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.